prison, dinner was always a big thing. We had a pasta course, and then we had a meat or a fish. Paulie did the prep work. He was doing a year for contempt, and he had this wonderful system for doing the garlic. He used a razor, and he used to slice it so thin that it used to liquefy in the pan with just a little oil. It's a very good system. Vinny was in charge of the tomato sauce. Ah, got the I felt he used too many onions, but it was still a very good sauce. Vinny, don't put too many onions in the sauce. I didn't put too much onions in all. Three small onions, that's all I did. Three onions? How many cans of tomatoes you put in there? I put two cans, two, two big cans. cans. You don't need three onions. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. My name is Sterling. And hey, this is Clow. We're the Film School Brats. This is a show where we talk about how Clow doesn't like elf <laughs> what the flipping fuck? i told that to you in confidence <laughs> uh but i'm not ashamed i don't like elf sorry you not told sorry me in confidence and i could not in good conscience live my life without the world knowing this does this discredit me? Every single opinion that I have about film is just absolutely discredited. Yes, everything we're going to talk about today doesn't even matter anymore. Here's the thing, I'll do you one more, like, I'll take it even further and dig my grave even deeper. Okay, uh, okay. Are you ready? What? I do not like Will Ferrell at all in anything. Except for Stranger Than Fiction, which is like his one serious role. I will say that I don't have any opinion on that. Okay, okay. Some people take that really hard. <laughs> I think he's fantastic in Elf, and I think Elf is a fantastic movie, but sure, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, but anyway, today we're going to be talking about a movie that neither of us had seen, which is, I guess, some kind of travesty. Goodfellas. Here's the thing. I love this segment. In case you don't know, this is, you haven't seen that. It's with that tone of voice that it's been said, Mm -hmm. which I think is the quintessential film school phrase where everyone pretends like it's a crime against humanity, that you have not seen that one movie that they, that obviously is a huge thing that you should see, but I don't have all the time in the world. I want to watch all these movies. I like I'm not opposed to any of them, but that's why this is our favorite segment that we do because it is the definition of a film student. Is that attitude of like, "Oh, well, I'm better than you because I've seen it." Yeah. And I think it's even more insane for you, Cloud, cuz let me get this right. You have a BA <laughs> in cinema studies, right? I do. Cinema, right? I graduated. Not not, not, <laughs> not content studies, but cinema, cinema. studies. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, sorry, Marty, but I guess Goodfellas just didn't make the cut. <laughs> well, I feel a little less bad about it because Demi Adejoyigbi has also not seen it. I apologize if I'm butchering his name. He's a really awesome presence on Letterboxd. And according to his Letterboxd, this is in his watch list. So he hasn't seen it either. Yeah. So I, we're better than I, him. I think that lets us off the hook a little bit. Yeah. Now, I love that we watched this movie. I love that we picked it because it was in my watch list. It has been for so, so long. And it's interesting to see it now that it's over 30 years old and seeing how it has influenced all of the new Scorsese movies. Yeah. And seeing it on Netflix, it's pretty funny to compare it to The Irishman. Yeah. Which, by the way, Robert De Niro says on multiple occasions in this movie that he's The Irishman. And I was like, hell yeah, you are. Hell yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, we were thinking about doing this for one of the segments last year, but we never got around to it. And I'm surprised that neither of us took the initiative to just watch it on our own after. But here we are. But now we've seen it. So we're on the other side. Yep. So, of course, directed by Martin Scorsese, co-written by Nicholas Pileggi and Scorsese himself. Of course, it stars Ray Liotta. I was going to say Robert Downey Jr. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's great in this. I think this was right before he got <laughs> Iron Man, but I'm not sure. I could be wrong. Uh, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. Let's just get into it. I mean, this is, it's often regarded as Scorsese's best movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know, debatable, whatever. He's made a bunch of great movies, but this is up there. I think you mean films. I don't think movies. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, a total masterpiece. And I think it's safe to say that I loved it. I thought it was brilliant and I'm excited to talk about it. And I think I, I I didn't watch it before, not because I didn't think it was going to be good. It was just never something that I caught on TV or that I rented or, you know, it just has kind of been escaping me my whole life, but not anymore. Well, it's kind of a commitment because it's two and a half hours long. So you're like, I got to dedicate my proper time and energy into it. And it's hard to find that kind of time. Yeah, I think you're right. Because you want to really pay it the respect it deserves. Right. I suppose. Anyway. Let's just get right into it. Yep. Just want to say, spoilers ahead. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't seen it by now, you're worse than us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This was the cutoff. This week was it. Yeah. So watch it. Crack open your spindrifts. And uh, now you can listen to us (laughs) talk about it. All right. So right off the bat, I'm sorry, this is going to be such a dumb comment. Ray Liotta's voiceover kept confusing me. I kept thinking that it was Leonardo DiCaprio's voice the whole time. I don't know why. What? I, I know. It, it's just, <laughs> it's a very niche comment. I don't <laughs> think anyone else has had this experience. Obviously, the comparison can be made to Wolf of Wall Street. Very similar structure of the movie. The very similar way the story is told. But for some reason, I kept thinking, damn, I think Scorsese really loves Leo because he sounds kind of like Ray Liotta. I kept thinking multiple times because Ray Liotta does this weird laugh. I kept His thinking... face laughing was kept me going it gave me a second win like it gave me life i was shocked that that's how he laughs it's great but i kept thinking how much he was like young ray liotta resembled Mm -hmm. joaquin phoenix Ooh. and i was like that's the joker laugh oh my god yeah yeah so i mean if joaquin phoenix is ever gonna do a ray liotta biopic for whatever reason uh maybe he'd be good casting choice yeah, I guess he just needs contact lenses and that's it. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting point. Okay. So after these two very <laughs> super irrelevant takes. At least we're <laughs> adding something to the conversation. Exactly. <laughs> See, we needed this modern twist. We needed Waffle Wall Street and the Joker to have been out to make these very insightful comments. Perspective. Yeah. That objectivity exactly. that other fans of this movie don't have. Yeah. But... <laughs> To get into the movie itself, I think the two big things that struck me were one, how it is such an impeccable gangster movie because it romanticizes the idea of the mob and the mafia and the gangster life. Mm-hmm. And then it just sees it crumbling down and how it affects so many different people. And it, and it makes this world feel so big yet so grounded because we feel like we know every character and you can see the influence that this has had in many other gangster films. And the other thing was that I guess the main 
idea or life philosophy that Ray Liotta's character has is that normal life is boring and it is basically like it's the same as being dead, right? And then at the end of the movie, one of his last lines is, now I'm just like an average nobody. And so like life sucks. But if you look at, this is a obviously based on a true story. If you look at the actual guy, Henry, because of this movie, he got to have like this n- newfound fame. And I think he's like sold books and did documentaries and all this stuff. So I think it's interesting how that, the, the movie really finishes up with this huge, wow, his life, now he's a... He's the thing he always was afraid to become. But not really, because <laughs> this movie was a hit. Anyway, those were my two big, like the two big things that just jumped out at me the whole time. Yeah, and I think related to your note about how it starts off as a romantic idea of it and then turns mm-hmm. into something else, I think the pacing is really cool in the editing, where toward the beginning, it's like this really sophisticated introduction to the mob and how it works and how gradual the upbringing is you know you you start young you start somewhere and then you make your way up Mm -hmm. and then toward the end of the movie when he's getting into all the drug stuff feels like a drug trip like everything's the the pacing is so much faster and it's the cuts the angles everything it's just yeah it just gets more frenetic and paranoid and Mm -hmm. the filmmaking is I mean, the filmmaking is, <laughs> this is a masterclass in filmmaking. <laughs> I don't know what accent that was, but yeah, <laughs> but it really is on display. And I think that's, that's, yeah, it's cool. Not only, yeah, I, I will say that another big element that helps with that is the music because it starts being so romantic and just a beat. Like you're seeing these crimes go down, but you know, that same song could be played at, at a wedding. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, and then it starts to unravel a little bit. And, and when you get to the, is it the 80s, the 70s? 80s. 70s, 80s with the like, drug. Like it's more 80s. like rock and roll yeah. and it's, you know, the music really changes with the times mm-hmm. and with the unraveling psychology of all the characters. Yeah. And I barely notice music in films, if I'm being totally honest. If okay. I'm just like <laughs> totally discrediting myself from everything, like throwing <laughs> myself under the bus for Elf and then music but truly music is one of the last things i notice same with like eye color and people last thing okay. i notice ever um oh eye color I, yeah i couldn't even tell you what color your eyes are they're brown <laughs> okay <laughs> okay um so for me to say that the music really added to it it must have really added to it because it got through my dense head and i really appreciate it Okay, watching this movie made me realize how not only has it been influential in other films, but I recently played the game Mafia 2. I don't know if you've ever played it. It's a PlayStation game. Yeah, yeah. And at one point, what you need to do is sell cigarettes on this, like off the back of a truck. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh my god, they totally got this (laughs) from Goodfellas. Or I don't know if that was like a common practice, but there were so many different things that I kept associating back with this game mafia 2 mm-hmm. obviously part of that is because these were all real things that happened but how insane is it that i think in my head mafia 2 came first before goodfellas <laughs> well, anyway <laughs> i think that's the interesting thing about this movie is that it shows that the mob is not some crazy out of touch entity it's a bunch of working class people doing mm-hmm. working class things like selling cigarettes 
I mean, obviously they're doing it through illegal means, but mm -hmm. I mean, even nowadays, I hear that the mafia runs the garbage trucks in New York. I don't know how true that is, but either way, it's like like a quote unquote blue collar kind of industry. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that makes this movie so iconic and why it has resonated with so many people is that it really goes into the day in day out of gangsters yep. in New York City, especially of the time, but how it was all about power, status, and a way of life. Mm -hmm. And I think the movie just sets that up so like flawlessly at the beginning when you see Ray Liotta's character as a kid just totally rejecting his parents' lifestyle. Yep. And so he was looking outside to these other guys who seemed to have everything figured out and were like a family. I know that terms is kind of overused with gangster movies, but yep. you know, a little community where they all had each other's back and it was like a, an inner circle of sorts. Sure. But I was I was listening to this. There was like this Good Morning America reunion five years ago, where it's like Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, the Polly character, and Karen's character, uh -huh. the actors that play those characters. Right. And the interviewer goes, "Why do you think this movie like resonated with so many people, and like why it's still such a big deal?" And Ray Liotta's just like, "Cause it's a good movie." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Sure, fair point." When did you realize that that it was? going to be what it became. Today. Yeah, right. <laughs> Why do you think this film has resonated with so many for so long? It's good. It's just a good, it's just a good movie. You're finding out and learning about this lifestyle that, that thank God, 99% of us don't know about. And here we are trying to like deconstruct it and find a deeper meaning, but essentially, it's just a great movie. Yeah, sometimes you just, like, it kind of ruins the fun when you try to overanalyze it. Like, it's just, it's a fun movie. I think what is really fun for me, though, is always seeing these characters develop. And I think the show, uh, Joe Pesci character, Tommy, was just incredibly written and executed. Yeah. And he got an Oscar for it. Mm -hmm. Essentially, he's just the character with the shortest fuse in the entire film. And you see him... How every time he gets challenged in public, he starts, like, he always explodes. And that just keeps going and going and going. And I think it's great that last shot in the movie where it's Joe Pesci kind of shooting straight at the camera. Kind of like the train robbery, the Grand Train robbery. Yeah. It's just shooting straight at the camera. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a great pointing moment of marriage between Martin Scorsese's love for film, his love for just the New York culture in the 60s and 70s, and then just like how he tries to put everything together in a film to just make it transcend everything. Basically, what I appreciated the most about this movie was the characters and how like round out they are. And I think that's always what I want in a movie, just like, or I'm, I'm always very interested in the psychology of people and why they act the way they do. Oh, absolutely. I think the character work in this is incredible. It's, I guess, somewhat thin on plot. I mean, the inciting incident doesn't really happen until like an hour into the movie. And it's funny to think about how if you were to learn this at film school or I guess anything at film school, if you're talking about structure, like mm -hmm. the inciting incident needs to happen within like the first 15, 20 pages. And this happens in theory on page 60. And that's like a huge sin. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like made by Martin Scorsese, who's <laughs> one of the greatest practitioners of classic filmmaking there is. But the character work is really amazing. I love how each character feels distinct. It makes sense how each character is reacting 
and forging their own paths in life. Like, that's how well you understand the characters. No, 100%. And not only, I mean, I, obviously we're focusing on the good fellas, but like the The good ladies, broads. Yeah, that's the broads. Okay, <laughs> here's a question. Why is broads like something you call women? It's such an ugly word. I don't know. I, What's up with that? I have no idea. I mean. I meant to look that up because I was like, why? Because people don't say that anymore. Do they? No. I don't think so. It's the same with like people saying what the devil instead of what the hell. At some point, everyone's like. Yeah, no, we're not doing that anymore. I don't know. That's some old. <laughs> I mean, broad is, is, I don't know if it's derogatory, but it's definitely not something people say unless it's a joke. Not very flattering. It's not. <laughs> no. But the women in this film are actually, I think, more complex than maybe even the movie gives them credit for. Because Karen's just, like, journey is heart-wrenching. How she's so in love with this guy and how she knows that this is a terrible life. Yeah. But she also gets roped in with the money and the camaraderie and the lifestyle and the just, you know, the excitement of it all. I don't know if you had the same reaction. For me, I I don't know. I, I wasn't expecting to feel so much empathy for these female characters. Even like the mistresses, which usually are the ones that get the least love yeah from the filmmaker and the audiences yeah but even the mistresses i feel really bad for them because they also were so kind of enamored by by this life and by all the money the drugs the everything that just lost their own individuality and just threw themselves at this guy yeah i don't think janice has much to do she's kind of just there she's kind of there but when she's like in her apartment that ray leona gave her and Karen is buzzing the doorbell. I thought that was really great. I don't know why I really felt for both women at that time. Yeah, I think the role of these women, and really kind of in every gang movie, they're the family life. They represent mm -hmm. the personal toll that it'll take. And yeah. I think it they're a great parallel and mirror to the whole idea of gang life where... You know, it's exciting at the beginning. You're seduced by this life. You get whatever you want kind of life. People respect you, yeah. Yeah, but then you get roped into it and you're kind of trapped in it forever. And at the end, especially when Rayleigh goes into witness protection, Karen's saying, maybe I can't see my parents, so it's not worth it. The guy from witness protection goes, once he's in the system, he's untraceable, untraceable Right. but they can get to you. And that's... You know how they get to him yeah so i don't you know it's a little different from the irishman in the sense that this is a little more light-hearted than the perspective of the irishman because i think the irishman really emphasizes how bad it is for sure in this one you know ray liotta doesn't really learn his lesson at the end of the day like he he understands the volatility of that kind of life but he's still like longing for it and i think the irishman is more of like the regret of that kind of life yeah because especially goodfellas at the end he does rat his friends out and that's sort of the lesson that they tell him at the beginning. Never rat your friends out. Keep your mouth shut. Yeah. But in The Irishman, Robert De Niro, like, you know, he kills his friend and, like... Yeah. So there's a more more of a personal toll other than, like, this guy who's already lost everything. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, okay, what you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. Lost everything, might as well just give them up. Save my life. Yeah. So you're right. I think... Do you, do you think that has anything to do with the years that those movies came out? Because in, in 1990, it was considered very graphic and people were walking out oh this movie's think... still brutal i watched it last night and it's still like <laughs> surprisingly graphic it is really graphic and brutal but 
I wonder if now we're just so used to seeing violence on screen that we become a little bit desensitized to it. And so I'm just saying like emotionally, I think the Irishman crosses some lines that maybe Goodfellas didn't feel confident crossing. What do you mean? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I th- I th- for me, I think The Irishman is way more gruesome than this movie. There's a lightheartedness to this movie that The Irishman doesn't have. Yeah. I guess it's a good middle ground. It's an interesting take on essentially the same story. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, sorry, this isn't supposed to be a comparison <laughs> no, 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 episode, I know, I know. but I, it just it reminded me of that. I just I guess I just have a couple of things that I wrote down that are yeah go for it thoughts. <laughs> um, I thought the Copacabana oneer was the opening scene. Like I always had that perception in my head that that was like some big oh, opening scene. It's not, but it's kind of in the middle. Yeah, still a great shot. And uh, Samuel L. Jackson is in this movie to just die. <laughs> it's so funny you can barely see his face. Yeah, and he doesn't really. See, he like mumbles a couple of phrases and then boom, boom, he's done. Yeah. <laughs> great underwear though. In that scene where he gets killed, yeah. I was like, great undies. Yeah. Um, probably the wrong takeaway from <laughs> that scene. But yeah. So, what was your favorite scene from this movie? Dude, we do this every time, and I, for whatever reason, always forget to think about that. I know. I almost reminded you about this today, but I was like, kind of like it when he thinks on his feet and he has to come up with something. I think you you had too much respect for me. Like, you trusted me too much. <laughs> um, I can tell you mine while you think about yours. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> this is just an excuse for me to tell you my favorite scene every time. But it was sort of towards the beginning when uh, Ray Liotta's character gets pinched for the first time and he goes to court. Yeah. But then he opens the door and all the rest of the gangsters are there. And they're like, congrats, you popped your cherry. And it's like the most wholesome, beautiful moment. And it's because he just like went to court. That I thought was amazing. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I think it it really solidified everything that I needed to know about this character and how he was going to make decisions going forward. Because if this was rewarded, if this was like his... Like, popping your cherry, it's like his entrance into manhood, I suppose, in this universe. I don't know. It was just such a well-executed scene that just set up the rest of the movie and the rest of the character perfectly. Yeah. I really like the sequence right before he gets busted, where you see his whole day unfold, and there's, like, oh, the hourly time stamps. Yeah. yeah. It almost felt like a different movie that last it did but i love that not in a bad way yeah yeah i love that really chaotic energy and how Mm -hmm. well that mirrors his mind his paranoia and it feels like a drug trip it gets faster and faster and everything gets more crazy and really well done i agree i think a a little follow-up of another favorite scene and it's something that i want to do is the prison scene Made well when they're cooking the meal, they're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, jail yeah. is tough. This guy put too many onions in the sauce, <laughs> yeah. But the shaving of the garlic, I've seen that so many times, and it just hit differently <laughs> watching it actually in the context of the movie. I have actually not seen that, or I had not seen that before this. Oh, really? Yeah, I've, I've been seeing this a lot on you guessed it, TikTok, where I spent, I spent all of my time lately apparently mm-hmm. um but i've seen i had seen it before on like taste made or stuff like that where they show very iconic cooking scenes and movies yeah anyway uh it really made me want to 
get a razor blade and just start <laughs> slicing some garlic. Yeah. That's my in into gangster culture. I just mm-hmm. want the garlic bit. <laughs> uh, one more detail that I really liked about this movie was when they're walking through that bar and he's introducing everyone. Ooh, absolutely. And he mentions Mikey Francesi, or Francesi, however you want to say it. He's real well i guess they're all real yeah but it's kind of funny because he's real and now he's like doing those insider buzzfeed videos of like what it was like to be a crime oh boss oh my god in oh the... that's so cool yeah and he's part of the or he was part of the gambino family huh so it was just kind of fun because i had seen those videos you know a while ago and then yeah. you see this movie and you're like ah i know who that guy is <laughs> it's funny because and I guess this is a good segue into real life, but a lot of those people are still alive. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or have recently died. Yeah. Sometimes this feels like it was such, you know, such a thing from the past that we're so distant from it. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Yeah. Like this guy's doing bus fit, like insider videos. I know. Get the it's fuck hilarious. out of here. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, since we're out of the bubble of the movie, I don't know if you got this from Netflix, but I was kind of surprised. I haven't seen this lately. That Netflix now tells you when the movie's going to leave Netflix. So for Goodfellas, it was leaving Netflix on February 28th. And not only is it does it appear under the title when you're, you know, looking at the preview of the movie, but as soon as the movie ended, it just said a huge sign appeared on Netflix until February 28th. I didn't notice it when I looked at the title, mm-hmm. but you know how it like it doesn't really want you to watch the credits and like tries to queue yeah. up the next thing. Yeah. I saw the queue up the next thing. My my first instinct whenever a movie ends is like, no, I'm going back to the credits because like oh, <laughs> I'm not yeah. gonna start something else right now. Same. But then as I was clicking back into the credits, I realized in the back, I just at the corner of my eye, I saw like in giant letters like leaving. But I was like, oh wait, it told me that. And then I was like, how do I get back to that? <laughs> and I couldn't. But that's interesting. interesting that you brought that up. Yeah. Because I've been seeing that a lot on HBO Max because obviously they have their movies for a month. But I hadn't seen that on Netflix that much. Interesting. I, you I know, mean, everyone's getting inspiration from each other. Of course. Yeah. But I wonder if that's helping any of those movies. Like if it bumps them up because people think, oh damn, I should rewatch this now or I should watch this for the first time now before yeah. it leaves. Anyway, just wanted to bring that up. I mean, I'm glad we caught it while it was still on Netflix because this has been sitting in my list for probably literally years i know same some of that stuff has been sitting there so long like inglorious bastards <gasps> i had put that in my list it went off of netflix it came back it came onto back. netflix <laughs> and now it's not on there again and i still haven't seen that movie oh you should watch it that one's really freaking good <laughs> yeah. anyway anyway sorry um, this is not about tarantino no mm. the hell out of here um but i think it's great that we watched it now because it's very timely with Scorsese's new essay that just came out. Or I guess it's coming out in the March edition of Harper's you can read Magazine. It now. It's out now. Yeah. But I really wanted to discuss this with you. I mean, you sent it to me. I had seen just like the little preview of it. I hadn't read the whole essay. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get what he's saying. I, I feel like it's Something that I have thought about, like, you know, Netflix brags about its curation, but it is an algorithm. There are some really cool curated lists on 
even Letterboxd say like 10 mm-hmm. horror movies, whatever, something like that, that you don't mm-hmm. get on Netflix because Netflix is just, just like by category in it. Or like by genre specifically, yeah. And I think, I guess Scorsese's idea of the curation is that it's like someone handpicked a set of things, whatever that might be, like in a museum or whatever, and it's on display for everyone. Everyone has the same experience and, well, no, I should say everyone has the opportunity to experience the same things. Mm-hmm. Everyone can have their own takeaway, but it's those 10 things. Whereas Netflix, it's like everyone has different 10 things and it's not proper curation. So I understand what he's saying. I guess after reading the whole essay, my two biggest takeaways and the first one being the most important, is Scorsese's thoughts around content and streaming platforms, most specifically the people that are running those platforms. Because obviously streaming is great and it's bringing a lot of people the opportunity to even watch movies and it's giving filmmakers, like even himself, and he acknowledges that, that it's helped him and benefited his career. Yeah. But I think something that he says that it's, I haven't been able, I've been thinking about it a lot, but I was never able to just really put it into words, was that the companies running like streaming platforms or the people behind them don't always love films. They're just selling you things. Yeah. And sometimes it's like the business aspect of it has much more weight than the craft and the love for like the art form i suppose and i think it's something that i definitely want to amend going forward like one of like what i want to do personally is find kind of like a happy balance between being a business person and understanding the ins and outs and like the economy of making movies but at the same time being someone that really values good movies and doesn't only see films as commodities and just like purely content and on the same plane as any other YouTube video that is out there or any other, you know, whatever, like mismatch, pasted together and like wrapped in a little bow and yeah. called a project. That's true. And now that I've been reading uh, the That Will Never Work Netflix book, uh, Mark Randolph, it's funny because how they came up with Netflix, they were pitching different ideas for different businesses. They landed on film. It was kind of a happy accident. You know what I mean? So it's really interesting to hear Scorsese, who's obviously a titan in this industry, being the one that's saying these things because they're obviously true and there has to be a balance. And I think one of the solutions he offers, consume other streaming services like the Criterion Channel or movie will inform, I don't know, if you appreciate films and you love the art form, maybe that's the way to go. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and obviously he's a champion of the art form too and he has been... Mm-hmm out very outspoken about it and i think that there is a i guess a respect thing that a lot of these studios have kind of forgotten about you know it's like Mm -hmm. here we'll give you 200 million dollars to make whatever you want but it's going to be like on the computer like we're not going to give you theatrical we're not going to give you this and that like (laughs) you could just we'll just throw it on there for people to watch yeah i guess just for me i really like that mentality going forward of I want my personal viewing experience to be a balance between like a film purist of the movie theater is the most sacred place on earth combined with I understand that this is a business so kind of being able to wear both hats and meet somewhere in the middle 
is, I guess, a life philosophy that I want to be on and that I thought he articulated beautifully. Yeah. I honestly think that what Netflix was doing with The Irishman and Marriage Story was not bad. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a step in the right direction where it's in theaters a month before it streams on Netflix. I'm going to be honest, I really hated watching this movie on the computer and missing a line because I looked over and grabbed a tissue and, like... (laughs) What were you doing? Oh, God. Just crying the whole movie. Okay, I thought you were implying something else. I was, but I tried to save it a little. But now... (laughs) Fine, I wasn't grabbing a tissue. I was getting a sip of water. Point being, I missed a line and I was able to rewind 10 seconds. Like, I kind of hate being able to do that because it just... That's not how I should be watching a movie. No, same way. Being able to pause it and go to the restroom or... It just takes you out of it because you're very aware that you're in an environment where you can control the movie. You're not immersed in it yeah it gives me too much power and i don't like it yeah fair enough (laughs) great place for us to end this episode (laughs) gives me too much power fucking take it away from me oh final thoughts or final question how do you feel about voiceovers just really quickly because this movie made me think about voiceovers a lot i think it's funny because i don't know if it's film school specific but a lot of film students or if you're learning how to write and everything, people always be like, ah, oh, fuck voiceover. It's the laziest thing ever. But Scorsese does it in like every single movie and mm-hmm. nobody cares. I think yeah. voiceover is totally fine. It really just depends on how it's done. 100%. I mean, I agree. I think it really depends on how it's done and what purpose it serves. This was interesting to hear Ray Liotta's voiceover, but also Karen's voiceover intertwined with it. But my final thoughts are that it definitely sounded like Leonardo DiCaprio's voice at times, and it freaked me out. <laughs> okay. And that... Maybe <laughs> Marty, Marty that. went back and watched this movie, and he's like, wow, that sounds like Leo. Yeah. Let's make Wolf of Wall Street. Exactly. I Honestly, <laughs> you're kidding, but that's exactly how I think it went down. He was talking to Leonardo DiCaprio one time. He's like, oh, shit. Kind of sound like Ray Liotta. I should use you. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's make a three-and-a-half-hour epic. Yeah. I guess it's three hours. I don't know. I, whatever. They're, they're all long. Time is a social construct. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was fun. I'm glad we watched it. I'm glad we were able to talk Finally. about it. And now we can be shitty to other people. Be like, you haven't seen <sighs> Goodfellas? You haven't seen that? <sighs> I haven't seen that? It's insane. Are you a film student? You clearly have not graduated yet. You must be a freshman. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is why we do this. Just to feel a little bit better about ourselves. Yep. To broaden our horizons, but mostly feel better about ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's like public therapy. Just get it out. Exactly. Okay, well, we have some exciting episodes to come soon. Next week, we're going to be talking about I May Destroy You. Right on time for the Golden Globes. So we'll get into all of that juicy juice. Ch- the juicy juice. Uh, we have an episode on South by Southwest coming up with our first mm-hmm. guest. Can you ah! believe we're going to have... One of my good friends on the show, her TV pilot is competing, so that's going to be really exciting. Incredible. We're very excited for her. I've said exciting like a million times. Yeah, but it's exciting. We're going to do a crazy episode. I don't know how crazy it'll be. (laughs) It'll be very tame. (laughs) We're going to do something big and bad for Zack Snyder's colossal epic of Justice League. The Snyder Cut. Four-hour monstrosity. So... We thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Greatly appreciate it, as always. If you want to keep up with our movie watching or whatever, you can follow us on Letterboxd, 
Our usernames are in the description. And leave us a rating, leave us a, a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps with the algorithms. Follow us on Spotify, whatever. Do your thing, share it, subscribe. I don't even know if you can subscribe to podcasts. Follow. Yeah. Like, enjoy. Turn on notifications. I don't know if that's a thing, but. I don't think so. <laughs> Venmo us. I don't know. I don't know what else to throw out there. Okay, bye. See ya. Oh, cheer up, Squid. It could be worse. Yeah, you could be bald and have a big nose. Well, this is the end.